What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast. This show features short interviews that you can listen during the halftime of your favorite sports events. Every Tuesday, I host fun conversations with talented people in the sports industry, where we'll learn from their stories, knowledge, and experiences. So go grab your favorite snack and come snack with us. Are you ready? Let's go. This halftime snack features a former top 10 world-ranked racquetball athlete and elite coach. She's an entrepreneur with a PhD in neuroscience and she's currently working as a sports scientist. She's the founder and CEO of PantherTech, a performance enhancement company that combines data, neuroscience and biomechanics to capture athletes' motion and provide sensory feedback. Their goal is to enhance performance and reduce injuries and their impact by disrupting sports training and recovery. I can't wait for this conversation, so grab a quick snack for my discussion with Dr. Joe Shattuck. Thank you. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. This is fantastic. No, Joe, it's a pleasure to have you on the Halftime Snacks. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Let's kick it off with a fun icebreaker, and I want to ask you... <laughs> What is the greatest burger you've ever had? The greatest burger I've ever had? Uh, actually, it was I was 16. I had just run a marathon, five hours, 26 minutes, 13 seconds in Montreal, Canada. And uh, honestly, it was just I was just so hungry after. It was a bacon cheeseburger, bacon and fries. And, uh, you know, I didn't have to pay for it because I was just a kid. Oh, it was great. That, that, that's my best burger. <laughs> Wow, what a great memory. You remember the exact oh, yeah. the exact oh, yeah. situation. That's amazing. I love That's burgers. Why I That's why I... not, to, not to be a runner anymore. <laughs> something else. I love burgers and that's why I wanted to ask you. So it's good that you remember one of your best burgers. Uh, oh, Joe, yeah. it's it's fascinating to have you here. It's fascinating the product and the company that you're building. So we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna discover a little bit about your story and the path towards really finding your mission towards panther tech really the value of biomechanics and neuroscience in sports and in the wearables market learn about a couple of technological challenges that you've been facing through with panther tech and discuss a little bit about opportunities in this in the intersection between sports neuroscience and biomechanics which is your uh, sweet spot so let's just kick it off with the story how about you tell us the story of how the idea or the inspiration, where the, the inspiration came for sure. Panther Tech. Sure, I'd love to. So uh, in the ninth grade, I was smoking cigarettes behind the dumpster in high school. And uh, my mom, being the wonderful woman that she is, signed me up for a dozen different things, you know, Girl Scouts and knitting and, and whatever else. And uh, I was about to leave for college and she signed me up for a racquetball league. And I'm like, all oh, right, this is fun. And so it was just at the local gym, whatever. And I lost every game like 21 to two. And that was back when you played at 21. Um, but a few months later, I went to college at Louisiana Tech and they had 13 beautiful courts. And I remember the exact moment I was just hitting in there by myself and I hit one particularly hard. And, and I was like, wow, I, I want to be good at this. So I went out in the hallway and I asked the fellows, I said, hey, um, do they have like contests and stuff for racquetball? And they all laughed at me because they're not called contests, they're called tournaments. But um, I remember that exact moment to this day of, of how I wanted to be good. Anyway, fast forward, uh, eventually became a professional athlete. And there's no money in pro racquetball, at least not when I played. 
So you had to do other things, coach or teach or run programs or, you know, sell rackets out of the trunk of your car or whatever, which I did. Um, and so yeah, I got to, I got to be a really good coach in, in the biomechanics, the technique of sport. So I would spend a lot of hours in a court. Just if you and I played, Ronan, it would be you and I, you with a racket, me sitting on the floor or jumping around or moving or trying to help you feel a sensation of moving a certain way and then replicate it. And during those hours and hours, I wish I could find a way to capture my instruction. A little later on in Denver, um, I was a pro at Denver Athletic Club for seven years. And uh, people would fly in to train with me. We do six days, two sessions a day. And then they go home for a couple months and come back. And when they came, came back, it's like, I, I, where, where did all the time of the practice, where did technique go? They forgot, they got bad habits again. And uh, I was like, there's gotta be a way to, to better impart knowledge or impart sensation in another athlete of how they're moving. And so uh, that was the seed of capturing some sensation not with words, not with pictures, not with looking at a video later, but right then. And I think that was the, the that was the genesis of, uh, of the CAT, kinesthetic awareness training, yeah. And can you share with us maybe one or two examples that you, you remember from your experience in building the product and developing uh, the CAT that made you realize the real intrinsic value of uh, neuroscience and motioning motion capture as you mentioned it things that you didn't thought existed but they were there once you kind of like developed the product ah uh, yeah I, i think i can if i'm answering your question right uh so the first cat was 2012 it was a one blinky light and one little proximity sensor and put it on my my friend sarah warhoftig she's actually uh worked for us as a ena expert and ambassador director but um she just moved her leg you know six inches one way and the feedback went off and then she moved it six inches the other way and the feedback went off. We we're working on her stance and uh, she could see where she was without having to look at herself. So she could feel where she was. Um, and that was the first like, Oh, this might work. And that was 10 years ago. And I, I feel like, so there's this theory about Pavlov and, and the dogs. I don't know if you're familiar with it, that uh, he had, Uh, a couple of dogs when he when he rang a bell then the dogs knew that time for food was was coming and so then mm -hmm. he just proved that one once he even rang the bells even if there wasn't any foods dogs were expecting foods now i wonder if there's any kind of like similar feeling that you've realized in in athletes things that you know they because because what i'm thinking is that once i like can, i can have a a specific feedback on something that i'm doing uh i kind of like mm -hmm. get familiar to it and then even kind of like maybe ex prepare my body to it or i'm not mm -hmm. sure if if i can even express it but it's something that you feel some some like pavlovian effect on the body is there is this something that happens with the cat or with panther tech or something similar that you can maybe re relate to us um, in, in, in this, in this uh, product? Right. It's very similar. It's similar in the way of uh, neuroplasticity. So there, there's, you know, Pavlovian conditioning and Skinner conditioning and, and all the different uh, um, learning theories that have come up along the way. What's different here is that whether you teach someone with, with verbal cues or um, uh, haptic, put your hands on them and have them recreate it, 
uh, and the term is muscle memory, although it's not, it's, uh, it's very misleading. The, the muscles don't actually hold memory, the motor cortex does. But in any case, um, the, the idea of sensory compensation may be, may be what you're getting at in that you don't have to know you're learning things. And that might be what you, you're mentioned with Pavlov and Skinner. Um, but this is more about bringing awareness to something that you were not aware of before. Um, and that's where the, the, vac, the vibratory feedback comes in. The difference is it's not a coach or a, a clinician saying, stand up straight, stand up straight, stand up straight, um, which you get the input through your ears and your brain process. It, it's a vibratory feedback. It's a different neuromotor pathway that the sensations come from wherever you're wearing the sensor, your wrist or your chest or wherever to your brain. So, so it's, a, it's a way to redirect your attention immediately in that moment, not look at video and tape a week later, decide, oh, I guess I should have been standing up straighter. So that the real difference here is that the change in behavior, the change in the motor pattern happens during the execution of the motor pattern. And what's cool about, I think, I'm a little biased, but what's cool about the product is that there's nobody else that, that's doing that in the way that we do it, where it's completely customizable. So you have X, Y, and Z planes, and I can have a, a margin of error on each side for each target, for each plane um, gradient, and, and I don't get into the details of the product, but um, super specific customized instruction that you can take with you later and just work on it at home or on the field or on the pitch or on your couch or wherever. Um, and so the conditioning comes with the immediate awareness during the execution of the movement. Um, not like with a bell, that's obviously what you were talking about. <laughs> Although that would be cool if you could ring a bell and then you automatically have a perfect racquetball stroke. Yes. That's one of the challenges. We could do that down the road. Maybe. <laughs> yes, I also see that happening because so the way I'm thinking about this product and the reason why I'm so fascinated by it, uh, me as a, you know, amateur athlete that likes to practice specific sports is for instance, that I like swimming and I go, I go to swim, uh, once, twice a week. Um, and there's certain things about my emotions that I don't know if I'm doing right. And yeah, getting a coach might be useful and maybe, you know, but not, not, not all the time there's a coach available or, you know, you have the budget to pay or you even want to pay because it's something that you do, you know, once in a while. So maybe you want help once right. in a while. Right. And so the, the, the thing that I like most about and I'm fascinated the most about this product is that it can really provide that input immediately and you don't need the coach there. So that's right. that's one of the things that I'm looking for. Now, I want to discuss something also very specific about your uh, sensor and the, K, the CAT uh, product that you developed. I want to know if there's any boundaries or any challenges that you are restricted to for the sensor. Uh, in if you want to just maybe take it to physics, like what the sensor allows you, given the size and the probably also the comfort, right? Because there's things that you can do, and there's also things that you want to do but you can't do because there's there's these boundaries. So I want to just ask you if, in terms of like the product and its development, there's things that you you wish you could do but you wish you just can't do them because you're very restricted and limited to what the product is and the comfort that it can allow uh, a athlete to have interesting um you know i honestly i don't see a restriction in the hardware or the capabilities except for one which i'll detail in a minute 
But I do see uh, one of the challenges in is in the educating the sport tech um, community of um, our path. So uh, we're not just another sensor company because there's plenty of sensors that collect data and you need data. You need data to, to measure the stress on the joints, to look at performance outcomes, to uh, decide if, if your intervention, your treatment, your training program is working or your treatment or not. Um, but what's interesting, Ronan, is that uh, we did an interview with an Olympic coach. I won't say what sport, but but she kept saying, does your sensor give kinematic data? And it's like, yes, it does. And you know, what's the sampling rate? And she wanted to know what's the angular acceleration of her particularly athlete during a jump, during a rotation. She said, well, can it do this? And I said, yes, it can. So, well, that will be great. And I said, well, what would you do with that information? So, well, well, I would, I would, then I would know how fast they were rotating. And I said, well, great. What would you do with it then? And well, uh, I, then I would know. And I said, well, how does that help you? And so, well, I could replicate it. And I went, thank you. The data is not the end. It's not the goal that now I know it's 8.8 .8 radians per second of angular rotation. It's the action that I need to communicate to the athlete to replicate that if that's what I want or don't want. And so a, a bigger overview is the education of, of the sensor community. It's not the data is not the goal, the action, the intervention, the improvement, the training, the maintenance of the motor pattern or the changing of the motor pattern still has to happen in real time. And that's where our product comes in. So we're not, we're not anti-data. It's just the feedback, the teaching component is the first component. It's the first feature of our, of our product. Now back to that other one. I wish that uh, the human body could react uh, sooner for example, if you wanted to know if you were swinging a bat at a certain speed, you put the cat on, on the bat and it would tell you, um, but you wouldn't be able to adjust that in real time because that's not how closed skills work. In a closed skill, you start and then there's not much adjusting because it all happens in you know 300 milliseconds or, or whatever. So um, the last thing is artificial intelligence and that's huge. You're gonna need artificial intelligence or machine learning. Um, and that's very useful, of course, to, to find hidden patterns, to detect uh, um, prediction of injuries, uh, prediction of performance, um, longitudinal studies to say, if I continue on this path, my athlete's gonna get injured in six months. But what you can't remove is the human, again, person-to-person -person interaction to uh, communicate whatever those changes in the protocol might be. Don't do this exercise this way, do it this way, or you know that kind of thing. Especially athletes are not probably not even coaches are very technical they're more probably practical so for them i guess that maybe this is something you already had in mind but maybe it's a challenge to deliver the insights as digestible as possible for them to just use in a very practical way meaning take what happens and make it into something or an insight that is practical not technical because technical is not a language that they speak maybe no no but i'm going to push back on you ronan because i'm going to say that our product doesn't deliver insights there's no knowledge in the cat it all comes from the coach so for good or bad you can teach really poor mechanics with the cat our feature is not insight it's not data it's not data points it's intervention it's real-time intervention to make you swing differently, to make you aware that you're doing this and not this, or you should do this instead of this. And then you can take that instruction with you. We're like a, uh, 
the instruction whisperer, right? You take it home with you and you get to have that same feedback with you. So um, my little rant here on, on, you know, it doesn't end in insight. It's, it's the action. It's the intervention that, that makes our product exciting. So you really have to teach the coaches that are going to be using it to know exactly what are the best, like what are the best metrics that they need to be looking at. Else, else, because let me give you an example. Let's say I'm a baseball coach, right? And I want, I want to improve my, uh, my athletes swing. Swing. Okay. Very, very simple. Um, and I know, I know he's doing it the way I, I supposed to, to, like the, the way I think it's the best the best practice. But what okay. if what I think it's the best practice is not really the best practice? And now this this can be like taken take take a take a sample size of one million coaches, baseball coaches all over the world. And you find the best like the best the best positioning or the best XYZ plane you wanna you wanna name it. Mm-hmm. You you take the best practice and then I wanna know what is the best practice to then apply it with my cat. In my play wow. so that's that's what i mean i i want to know i want to know what is the best way of using it if if i'm not getting the inside then how do, how will i know what is the best practice right i'm going to answer your question with a question and you might push back on me too somebody asked me well how does the cat know what to do and i said well the cat doesn't know he said well how does my coach know what to do with it how does my coach know how to coach with it right and i said how does your coach know now How do they know without the cat? Well, they know because they study other players. They look at biomechanics. They have 20 years of experience. There's no knowledge. And I'm holding up the cat. You can't see it. There's no knowledge in the cat. It's a tool. So if you're a really good coach, you're going to be an even better coach with the cat. Just because you can communicate your instruction precisely to your athlete in real time without you having to be there. And and so this is part of the educational curve I was trying to push at is is that I get asked, well, how does it know? A lot of other sensors, a lot of other sports-specific, let's call them uh, uh, improvement devices, have knowledge in them, and they're based on the average good swing, right? But if you follow that, then you're, by definition, are training yourself to be average. That's not this. This is a tool for movement educators. If I want you to have a certain angle of your racket in space and your hip aligned in a certain way, I can teach you exactly that. And my next student might come in and I teach him differently. And that's actually the way coaches teach. No coach will go to say, look at the top 10 swing. And quite honestly, there's some really talented athletes up there with pretty poor biomechanics. Very Um, interesting. And you'd be surprised how other top athletes talk about other top athletes. I know, right? So, but so, uh, so then what is really the main source of differentiation of the product? If, because what, what I'm thinking is that it really emphasizes or it um, it creates a bigger, um, how would I say it? It just pronounces what is what the coach is really trying to convey. But if there's an error in what the instructions of the coaches want to convey, then the error will also be pronounced, I feel. So what is really the differentiation in this tool? I understand that you want to give coaches a, a tool to really pronounce Mm -hmm. or emphasize their 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 instructions right but then what if their instructions are wrong well then you can say that about every tool and that's a fair argument the same thing about uh 
a 50 pound weight or a squat rack or uh, a tennis ball machine. Um, you can misuse a tool, of course. Now the main difference, and this is the key thing, is that we are the only sensor that delivers vibratory feedback based on customized instruction inputted by the coach through the sensor. No other sensor gives feedback, uh, vibratory feedback. What you do, sensors, and, and they need it, they're not, they're not horrible, they gotta collect data, but they'll show you visually what you're doing. We think it's better to learn by feeling what you're doing than seeing it, right? The visual system, I'm a neuroscientist, so the visual system is the most dominant. That's why when you stand up and you close your eyes, especially if you lift one foot, you kind of fall over because that horizon, that proprioceptive input of the horizon is not available to you anymore. Um, but surprise, surprise, you don't need your eyes to know where your body is. You could close your eyes or you could look on your phone and walk around your living room because and not run into any furniture because your brain has a model of where your furniture is in your house. It's the same with yourself and your body in the world. Your brain creates a model of you and in relation to its environment in, uh, and that's how it navigates your body around the world. When the model is wrong, the movement's wrong. When the model is flawed, the movement's flawed. If the map's wrong, you're not gonna get there. And it's a real simplified explanation, but, but the point is that the CAT device, um, there's no knowledge in it there's no algorithm. There's no magic data that says you're going to be a good swinger uh, or a good golf player, whatever it might be. <laughs> it is uh, it is a tool for movement educators to teach whatever they want to teach through neuroplasticity, haptic feedback in the moment without having to monitor every repetition. Think of physical therapy at home. Um, if you ever wondered, am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. Then this is where this comes in. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that the explanation of you know tools being used wrong that makes total sense i guess that mm -hmm. you know in the future there's going to be a lot of maybe pushback on on coaches saying oh this doesn't work but then you're, you're going to have to explain well it doesn't work because your input was wrong not it not because the tool is wrong it's because the tool is aimed to really help you put the message in the athlete's body in a, in a, in a feedback form that is different than just saying it. it's by feeling it. So it's not that the product is wrong, it's that probably your instruction is wrong. So I want to see really very interested in hearing what kind of like feedback they give you and what types of, you know, reasonings or help you provide then afterwards mm -hmm. to really help them also improve their coaching style and be more accurate on what they want to communicate to what their players. Want, right? right. So, right. so right. help me as a coach to become a better communicator. Maybe that's, uh, the, the, the catchphrase, that's the one liner. <laughs> um, that's, no, that's a good point too. And actually too, in that, in that uh, uh, it's almost like a, if you look at it retrospectively, it could be a, a detector of, is the coach really good? Uh, and I don't mean good at, at coaching in general, I mean good at coaching specific biomechanics. Um, it's almost like a, a coach skill assessor, right? Because however you program the cat, and, and by program, I mean your athlete does a movement, you press a button on the ad, it captures that, and then you tweak the three axes to, to make it exactly what, what you want. Um, this is not as the, does the cat teach that, is, is that the correct movement that you're supposed to teach? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, what happens next in the intersection of sports, neuroscience, biomechanics? That's your sweet sweet spot so what do you what do you envision what what's the next 
like the cat is the first product but what what are you thinking about next or what do you want to probably uh, incorporate to that product in the future yes. what are you thinking So a few things, we've got patent pendings and a couple other patents um, in the works on um, other biometric sensors, uh, force transduction, force production, EMG, which is muscle activity, eye tracking, with the idea that with our technology, if you can measure it, you can train it in real time. Um, and if you know anything about uh, motor learning theory is that, uh, well, I won't, I won't go into that. That'll be another hour. <laughs> the cool part is, There's a trifecta of, of variables that you want to get together. One is your subjective experience. How does your athlete feel when he or she does a movement that's biomechanically sound and powerful? You get that aha face and every coach has had it. And if you've ever done a sport yourself, you're like, oh, that's it. I want to do that again. And then you spend the next hour trying to do it. The next thing is your kinematics, which is where the cat comes in. It does collect data, whatever data you want specifically for your limb, wherever you attach it on the body. And the third is performance outcomes. Performance outcomes, meaning how far did I hit the ball? How much spin was on my uh, my slider, my slider pitch? Um, how much top spin uh, did I, was my serve in? Was it out um, miles per hour? All those are performance metrics, performance metrics, kinematics, and subjective experience. That's the trifecta. If you can combine those and get those in real time, you can coach uh, just You, it's just the trifecta, right? To get all three of those aligned. When I do this, it feels this way. And this is the fastest pitch I have. That's fantastic. If I do this, it feels this way. And, and the ball goes to the left or whatever it might be in real time. That is, that's what we're going for. Super interesting. Is there, is there any sport that you think because of its format is really hard to create that trifecta for i'm thinking maybe swimming and i'm probably i'm wrong because swimming i thought you'd just do it in the water and probably things are ton, tons of things are happening in the water and so for instance my apple watch doesn't track when i'm just kicking it doesn't know right, it doesn't right. you know it doesn't even track the distance it's ridiculous right but so right, that's right. one of the things that i think uh maybe they're limited by the things that they can track and they can't but is there any other sport that you can think of that could potentially bring tons of uh, challenges to create this trifecta to deliver, you know, the best product? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So sports with um, discrete sports or sports with discrete movement, like, like a, a vault, uh, a beginning and an end, a baseball swing, a racquetball swing, a race. Um, those are like closed sports with discrete skills within them. An open sport like soccer, right, where there's tons of uh, – 360 degree movement, multi-plane, uh, lots of different moving pieces, players. I mean, that's harder to, because how do you quantify an hour long uh, performance when the score is one zero and there's thousands of interactions and movements that happen in there versus a single vault or a single baseball swing, right? So the open sports that are constantly fluid um, and you're reacting to your environment as opposed to just you start, you finish, and you get graded quote, on it, um, those are going to be more difficult. Now, the way coaches get around that is they do kinematics. They'll do how many ball touches did you have with your right foot? Let's say your soccer. How many with your left, left foot? How long did you possess the ball? So all these different metrics are the way coaches figure out how to, how to measure performance during a soccer game, right? Um, even, you know, how many time, how, how many minutes were you on defense or, or offense? 
even when you're even when you personally didn't have the ball. Those are metrics that um, are are better off to other uh, GPS sensors and those types of things. Um, for the cat specifically, it's for in it's almost like a GPS for your body. Your whole universe is just your body. We call it the sensory motor space. So it helps an athlete master their sensory motor space just by knowing where they are in time and space. And everybody says, um, you can't forget about the time part um, because obviously uh, I'm also faculty at, at CU Anschutz and movement disorders. And one of the things we used to study is a reach and grasp for people with stroke, right? That's a movement too. But if you grasp before you reach that movement is functionally dead. So that's where the temporal component of master your sensory motor space comes in. I don't know if I went off. I mean, I know I went off on a tangent, but I hope it was interesting. No, it was very, very interesting. I feel like I should, uh, I should receive a uh, bachelor's on biomechanics just from this, <laughs> from this halftime snack. I'm learning so much. Uh, <laughs> fascinated oh. by, by, by the talk. Um, yo, it's been, it's been super fun to, to talk with you about everything related to biomechanics, the cat and the value proposition that you guys are bringing to the space. I find it super disruptive and super interesting. Uh, as you said, it's some, it's, it's a product that allows coaches to communicate better in, in what they want to convey. And I look forward to the moment when, you know, I can even use it, um, for my swimming when where a coach or you know someone is just setting some things up before for specifically for me and then then i could use it i don't know if you guys have that plan but if you don't you better have it because then i'm gonna yeah, be a very do. happy customer um is there anything else that you you have in mind uh i know that you guys now were accepted to you know denver uh startup week and that you're raising some funds Uh, what is what is next for you guys in the next say one three and five years? What are you thinking in terms of strategy as a business owner, as a business you know running uh, Panther Tech? What is your strategy? What are you thinking, and where you want to get to eventually in let's say five years? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, well, we think with our patent, we have a patented uh, in February. Um, this will. Uh, I almost want to use the word revolutionize the way movement is taught, but maybe it's more revolutionize the ways movement is learned um, because it, it's based on neuroplasticity, uh, sensory compensation, which your body does all the time anyway. Um, so this next year, we, we want to launch our first, uh, the, the flagship product, if you will, the CAT, Kinesthetic Awareness Training. Um, years two and three, we'll move on to um, the eye tracking and um, force production insoles. And uh, hopefully by year five, I, I don't know if you said 10 or not, but we have a whole network they're called experts and ambassadors out there. 16 of us who have, have used some iteration of the cat in the last um, probably five or six years. And uh, we'd like a whole network of very sport specific, let's say guidance, if you would. This is the way the cat's been used in baseball. Um, this is the way it's been used in soccer. In fact, we had starting our first clinical trial uh, before the end of the year in a neuro rehab center in Omaha to use it in uh, amputees. So um, to develop a, let's call it a database of best practices in each of these sports. So that when, when you ask, uh, you know, how does the coach know, they will have a lot of experience of others that they can refer to. Like I used it on, uh, on the left wrist of a batter because they kept dropping their hands 
or a boxer because they kept dropping their hands. So those those few things, uh, my one, five, and one, three, and five-year plan. Fascinating. I'm looking forward to it, Joe. Um, before we leave, I can't can't go without asking you a more personal question, and I'm super okay. super super curious to ask you uh, the story, probably of how did you retired from professional racquetball, or why did you stop, um, or what happened? Yeah, this is weird. This is weird. So for uh, for you know 20 something years, you wake up and you think I, I need to get better at racquetball, and that's what you do, and you, you live it 24/7. I lived in a camper without electricity to clean carpets at night for a couple of years because racquetball didn't pay much. And, and yeah, I was, I was kind of a crazy person, but it was a uh, 2010 and the end of the season, I started feeling like something was wrong. Like uh, maybe I was getting sick or had some weird disease or it just, I wasn't right. And the morning of a, uh, of a quarterfinals, I woke up in bed and, and I'm like, I know what it is. And I turn over to my training partner and, and she's like, what? I said, I think I'd rather be somewhere else. And, and the next, uh, so I played my match and took all my timeouts. Um, but the next six months, I probably cried on the couch because I didn't know who I was. My whole identity was wrapped up into, uh, into being Joe the pro, which was, it was just a weird, it was like a life-changing thing of, of realizing that, wow, that, that's what that is. It was almost like a cartoon switch, you know, in cartoons where they have a big red, you know, circuit breaker that pull down the knob and all the lights, go. it's like that. Anyway, so then I went back to school and became Dr. Joe and all is good in the world again. But yeah, December 18th, 2010 is, uh, is when I realized I'd rather be doing something else. And I played that last match and I never played professionally again. Quit mid-season of thinking I'm number six, world six at the time. Yeah. Well, I, I I'm happy to hear that at least you found your path in something similar to racquetball and that you're really trying to bring solutions to it, given your experience and what you've learned and what you what you know about the sport and about uh, neuroscience and how you applied that uh, to your career. Uh, fascinating and very inspiring to see and follow. Joe, I'm looking forward to what you and uh, Panther Tech are going to achieve together in the next couple of years. I hope that I can become one of those ambassadors or experts eventually. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. but That'll be a waterproof model for swimming. <laughs> Yeah, no, I want to thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks and sharing your story and whatever you're uh, developing with Pater Tech with us. Uh, I've learned so much. And as I said, I think I should uh, get my BA uh, right away, adding it on my LinkedIn. <laughs> But yeah, it's been fun. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy learning about the business and technology behind sports, make sure you subscribe to the Sports Tech Biz newsletter. I'll leave the link in the show notes. See you all next week. Bye-bye.